Broken trust can be healed, but it's not just time that's going to heal it. You need clear guidance about what to do and what not to do. I'm Jeff Stewart, licensed marriage and family therapist, and I've developed a free video course called The First Steps to Rebuilding Trust. This course will show you what's needed to begin healing after betrayal. I offer guidance for the betrayed partner as well as the partner who broke the trust. You can access it for free right now by clicking the link in the show notes. I'm excited today to introduce you to my guest, Ashley. She is someone who reached out to me, actually, and asked if she could join me on this podcast. Uh, She's someone that has struggled with pornography since she was age 11. And it was really important for her to reach out and let people know that she doesn't want people to believe that they're the only ones and that, especially for girls, they don't have to suffer in silence anymore. She teamed up with the, the late Colin Karchner, who was such a great speaker and youth advocate. And unfortunately, he uh, was taken from us not too long ago. And she was starting to speak with him and do a lot of events with him. And just really, I'm so grateful that he gave her a voice. And so I'm here on the podcast here, giving her a voice as well, helping her get her message out to people. And I just want people to hear from her. She's awesome. I love her energy. I love her courage. I love her tone and her message. I'll let her introduce herself a little bit to you. You'll get a better feel for what she's doing. But I'm excited for you to to hear her story. One more story of somebody who was willing to step into the light, come out of hiding, be honest, and offer and extend hope to other people who are struggling and who feel very alone. All right. So let me introduce you to Ashley, this incredibly courageous and fantastic lady. Ashley, thank you so much for being here with me today. Yeah, of course. I'm excited to be here. I'm just so glad you reached out to me and and wanted to be a part of this and to share your voice to offer support and hope to women and girls out there who are struggling privately and and probably shamefully with pornography and I just think it's it's just such a blessing just a ray of light for you to to jump on the scene here and just put yourself out there and and offer this support it's uh I think it's going to make a huge difference and from what I understand it's made a huge difference for you like it's it's helped you become more public with your stories that right yes helping other hearing other people's stories has been a huge part of your own recovery. So yeah, that's yeah. fantastic. And so what I'd like to do is, and listeners, I'll just tell you, today is actually the first day that I have met Ashley. She reached out to me directly. We've corresponded by email back and forth. And and I just wanted to bring her on here and, and do this this episode and learn with you more about her story and understand what she's been doing that's been helping her and especially give tools and resources and and most of all, encouragement and hope that it's worth doing, that it's worth um, getting help, getting out there, overcoming these things and that, and that it's possible and just to join her on her journey. So what I'd like to do, Ashley, is, is uh, just turn it over to you, let you introduce yourself and tell us your story. And I might jump in with questions here and there just to carry it along because I'm curious and definitely want to understand more. So yeah, so go ahead and take it away. Okay, awesome. So we'll just start off when I was a little kid. I'm only 19 years old, so it wasn't that long ago, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> I grew up in a big family. I have seven other siblings and two amazing parents. And we like had a wonderful childhood. Didn't have very much technology. We just played outside. And I was also homeschooled. So different from a lot of other families and kids, but it was really, it was a really great time of life for me. And 
Another part of me growing up was this image that I put on myself really affected me. I put on the perfect kid label. Everyone kind of treated me a little different. I was always obedient and I always wanted to help out my parents, wanted to take on different responsibilities, sorry. And my parents always treated me a little bit different than the rest of my siblings. And that went with me all growing up. And like, how did, like, how did they treat you differently? Like, because you were so compliant and obedient that like, so how would they treat you differently? Like, what would that look like? Yeah. I was always the Christmas elf. Like (laughs) even as like a seven-year-old, I would always help with Christmas and just little things like that. It was a little more special. I felt a little more important and included Mm -hmm. um, with the adults. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. And of course I want to keep that with me because everyone saw me that way. So when I was about 11 years old, I ran into this book and it was a really good book. It taught about morality and what, what happens when you don't make good moral choices, basically. And in that book, it taught about pornography and it told a story about this kid running into it. So of course I was very young and that all it did to me was put the thought in my head about pornography that led to me like being curious and I searched things in dictionaries because I didn't have a computer looked in dictionaries random books art so I was finding my own ways of pornography just trying to figure out like what this all meant because my parents we didn't really talk about that of course I did have the big birds and bees talk and That was uncomfortable for me, obviously, but we didn't talk about pornography. And I was just struggling with this um, in my little 11-year-old head. And right after that, we made a really big uh, life change and we moved an hour away and everything got really crazy. So they basically handed me all this information and we just couldn't do anything with that because our life pretty much turned upside down. We moved into this little house and try to fit our eight siblings in two bedrooms. And we also had started school for a first time. So everything was really crazy. On top of that, I was handed a phone because all my other friends had it. So, And I'm guessing your parents much, probably didn't worry too much about you because you were like the obedient child, right? Yeah. Exactly. So like, oh, Ashley can handle having a smartphone because... Yeah. She's the Christmas elf. I mean, she's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and with that also, my brothers got it at the same time. So they had no experience with phones, their kids. So we were all the guinea pigs. And they were worried about, about my brothers because they're brothers, teenager boys. Right, right. So, right. And I was pretty much the middle kid. So, you know, just had a phone and that included social media. I had Instagram. YouTube, you know, Snapchat, all of the apps that all the other kids had. So did, real quick, when, so did you go from, yeah. I mean, it sounds like your childhood in this place you lived before you guys moved to the smaller house was almost like free range, right? Like free range chickens, like free range kids, like you're out playing yeah. in the yard, not a lot of screens, just yeah. this really sort of idyllic country life or something like that. Yeah. And then you move into a, probably a more densely populated area, smaller house, public school. And then all this also kind of like developing, 
you know, you're growing into your adolescence and starting to develop and have feelings and curiosities and things like that. And then like, now you have like a screen and unlimited internet access for the very first time in your life all at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What yeah. could, what could go wrong? Right. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so that was a shock for yeah. me. And of course, like, I don't blame my parents or anyone. No. Um, like that was just such, like, no one really knew the consequences of phones and what social media actually does to kids. So yeah, we were just really busy. My parents were dealing with their own things, like cutting down the thousands of trees we had in our yard, taking care of the farm. And, you know, my mom was pregnant again. So we were just all kind of in our different places. My mom is a Relief Society president. So (laughs) we were kind of just trying to figure it out on our own. Yeah, just a little distracted and busy, huh? (laughs) Yeah. So I found pornography and that it was, it was so new. Yeah. Of course it was soft porn, just images I found on Instagram and Pinterest, but that just continued a bad coping mechanism and a bad cycle. At first I, like, this sounds weird to say, but at, for, at first I really enjoyed it. I don't think that's weird. I think it's, I think that's yeah. just the natural response we have because we're humans mm-hmm. and we're sexual beings. And so, yeah, I think you were having the response yeah. that probably anybody would have, which is, this is attractive. This is, you know, interesting. It's, it stimulates curiosity. It's, yeah. So mm-hmm. I don't think it's weird. Yeah. If you're asking me. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that, that happened for, I want to say six years, just this bad cycle, like every day turning to this. Mm-hmm. I was very involved in other things like acting. I did plays with my community. I also was very invested in piano. I've been playing for about 12 years. So just all these different things that I was putting so much time into and really doing amazing at, you know, going to rest homes, things like that. I was slowly like pulling back from that. And that made my parents worried. They didn't know what was going on, but just something was off. And I was scared about that. So also I was starting to not do very well in school. I had to come home like every other semester and do homeschool. My parents weren't very worried about that because I did so well in homeschool in the previous years. But of course, now when I was so into this second life I had created, I wasn't doing my school, obviously. I was spending so much time over in the technology world. That really, really hurt my teen years. and affected my relationships. Yeah, it was just very long and it was draining me. And nobody had any idea. No one had any idea. And I didn't plan on telling anyone ever. Oh, this so. was something you were going to take to the grave, huh? So this was, yeah. this for you was, was something that was a daily coping strategy, right? You were saying that yeah. you just return to it on your phone and just keep searching stuff out and spending time on mm-hmm. it. But it, but it was starting to break you down. You, you, yeah. you started to, to have less interest in the things that you loved. You were pulling away. It was kind mm-hmm. of rattling your confidence, messing with your relationships. Like, what did you notice like in terms of relationships and things like that? What was changing for you? Yeah. I definitely didn't spend as much time with my family and friends. Just, like just more, more in your room time. or? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was just weird. I didn't feel comfortable being with them anymore, which is really sad. 
Um, but it was just taking me away from all the things I used to love. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So just more isolation, more disconnection, more distance. Mm -hmm. And when did you start to notice that that was becoming a problem for you? Probably, probably when I was 14. Okay. Yeah. So, so a few years into it. Yeah. Yeah. So I didn't really know what was happening. I knew it wasn't right, but it kind of all clicked when I was in seminary one day and my seminary teacher, I don't think he had much experience like talking about this or something, but he put pornography and masturbation out so shamefully. Like it scared me. And I realized, hey, wait, like, is that all what I'm doing? This is bad. I'm bad. You know, and he was putting so much shame into it. So like what? Like that, what kind of stuff was, was, was being said? What were the um, messages? Just saying that this is so disgusting. Stay away from this. You know, boys struggle with this. Don't get involved. Don't date boys that struggle with pornography. Just all these weird messages. And that really didn't even help me at all. Like that made me want to hide even more. That's right. And not tell anyone because, you know, this person I trust is, you know, talking so bad about it and making me feel like a bad person, even though he had no idea what I was, that I was actually struggling with that. Yeah, so and, pro- and probably also didn't have, like like you were saying, didn't have a lot of education about how to talk about these kinds of really personal struggles in, in supportive and healthy ways. And so you're sitting there yeah. as a young woman, as a girl, when he's basically saying like, bi- the built-in assumption, of course, like, well, clearly girls don't struggle with this, but, mm-hmm. you know, but these, these boys, they get infected with it and they're, and they're dirty and dangerous. And so yeah. stay away from them. But, you know, thankfully the girls don't. So girls watch out for these guys and you're sitting over there probably yeah. going like, holy cow, like, <laughs> what does that mean about yeah. me? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Um, what was that like for you, Ashley, sitting there hearing this message? And again, no judgment on him. I mean, this is, he's yeah. definitely one of a million people that I think mishandle this topic all the time. So, but I'm curious mm-hmm. for you, what was, what was that like for you to be sitting there hearing this, for the, you know? That did actually happen a couple times, even in like Sunday school and young women's, I oh. guess my ward and area doesn't talk about it or something, <laughs> but yeah, it's yeah. always very uncomfortable because I don't know now looking back, I can see like, if you have Instagram, you're, you, you can see pornography so easy. I'm sure like so many girls struggle with it too. So, but at that time I had no idea. So it was very scary for me it really did kind of put a bad light on me. I felt that there was like no hope for me. You know, they told me about these problems, but they didn't tell like what to do or what to do if this happens. Yeah. You know, they just put so much shame on it. Yeah. Um, Almost like you were just like doomed. Yeah. Like, well, you know, you've got terminal cancer, Ashley. Sorry. <laughs> you know, I mean, they, yeah. like there was no hope. It was just just a really, mm-hmm. yeah, that's scary. That's terrifying as a young person to hear that and not have a way out. Mm-hmm. So because people were talking about it that way, I really never wanted to open up to my parents. And I really never planned on doing that ever. Like I said earlier, mainly because I didn't want my perfect kid label being taken away. I didn't want to add another stress to their life. Yeah. And I was worried about how they would react. Now seeing how so many people were responding to pornography. So 
I just really kept it hidden for a long time. Did you feel like at that age, you were saying you're about 14, 15 years old at that time, somewhere in that range. Were you at a point where you were ready and wanting to talk about it? And then you heard that and you were like, yeah, that's not going to happen. Like they're going to kick me out of the family. Right. Mm -hmm. So you were, you were feeling ready. Uh Uh-huh. Oh man. Yeah. It was really hard. I was tragic. I was writing like little notes to slip to my bishop or to my parents, but you know, I would just always think about, Oh wait, remember how this guy responded. This is not going to be good. And so I didn't end up, you know, telling anyone asking for help. So just struggled in silence. Uh, Yeah. Okay. So in December of 2017, I was talking with my cousin and we just like, I don't know how, but we got on the topic and we were just talking. And this was the first time I ever talked about pornography to anyone. So we decided that we would go to our bishop next week. And we did. And it was like the biggest relief. I've ever felt, you know, the biggest weight taken off my back. It was really cool. So both of you went to your bishop? Mm-hmm. Yeah, she was in my ward. Oh, she's in your ward so, with you. Okay. Did, yeah. Did, was it something that she was just going to support you? No, she had her own issues. So she oh. talked about hers and I talked about mine. You guys went in at the exact same time? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's, separately. That's amazing. So, so you guys just somehow got on the topic and it was like, oh, you too. And like, you both just realized that you both struggle with things. And, and this was like a, like an, almost like an instant support for you. Kind of. Hers was a little different though. Sure. So it wasn't pornography, but it was like, oh wait, someone else is actually struggling with something bigger. Yeah. So we normally talk about. How nice to know that, you know, other people struggle and that you're not alone being a human being. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. So you guys both just got the courage and a lot of positive peer support just to say, let's go do this and Mm -hmm. and feel better, put it out in the light. Yeah. Oh, that's great. So that was really amazing. And it really did change my life. You know, I was getting help from the bishop, but that's basically it. I was able to stop um, doing pornography, you know, cleaned up my social media, started turning to service more. And I was able to put that in my past. And that was so amazing. Still, I didn't tell my parents about it or anyone. Oh, so really? Um, so the only person that knew at this point was your cousin and your your bishop? Yep. Okay. Yeah. What kept you from but, telling your parents about this? Three things that I said a little bit ago. Okay. Um, how? Yeah. So that didn't change for just, you, even though you'd had a good experience with your cousin and the bishop. You were still like... Yeah. No, I'm still not ready to tell them because I don't <laughs> think that they'll handle it very well. They're stressed out. They have a lot of other things. And yeah, were you still worried that you would be kind of doomed for life? You know, did, did you still carry that shame or had that changed once you opened up about it? It pretty much changed when I opened up about That's it. That's good. Yeah. That's great. So later that year, it was a really awesome year. And I, bet. I felt way more connected to everyone. My mom noticed. I was just way more happy. And that was really cool. In July, though, I had a double jaw surgery and I was stuck at home for a whole month without eating um, because my jaw was wired shut. And so I was starving. I was eating soups and smoothies. That's basically Uh, it. That just sounds horrible. Yeah, it was no fun. But right after that, I... When I, when I was able to start eating food again, I 
developed binge eating disorder because mm. I was honestly so hungry. And that was really scary. That lasted for nine months, but it was just this constant cycle. But the scary thing was that I thought I was like healed from all my addictions. I didn't think that I would have another, you know, second life problem. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. Um, like it was taking over all my thoughts and energy and everything. Mm -hmm. So I did tell my mom about that and she was able to help. But along with that, because I was so like constantly ups and downs, you know, I was so depressed and, you know, it, it just wasn't good. I had to have coping mechanisms and it came back to my pornography stuff again. And that was really scary, you know, because I would binge and then I needed to feel better. So I turned to that. Yeah. And that was just a big, long cycle for about nine months. Just ping ponging back and forth, like trying to stop yeah. one, the other one would flare up and then you go back and forth and yeah, yeah, just trying to cope with all these unhealthy ways, but you couldn't get out of the, the cycle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So with a lot of work with you know, using podcasts and YouTube videos and just trying to figure out how to, to end the cycle. I was able to finally do it. And looking back, it's really cool because pornography and the eating disorder, the steps are basically the same yeah. to get out of it, yeah. I realized. Do you want me to go straight into those right now? Yeah, I'd love to hear for you what you discovered and what was helpful to you. I mean, I'm guessing, obviously, you've opened up to your parents about this because here you are talking to me on a podcast using your full name <laughs> yeah. and having no problem with it. So I'm guessing that they either like never listen to podcasts or you've been open with them about it. <laughs> yeah, they know now. <laughs> yeah, like, um, yeah. go ahead and share with, uh, with all of us okay. what was helpful for you and you know, what really mm -hmm. made the biggest difference for you. Because this was this recovery process for you, you know, you said you opened up to your bishop and your cousin, your cousin, then your mm -hmm. bishop about three years ago, four years ago. Yeah. Three years ago. Three years ago. Okay. So when you were like 16 and then that cycle of struggling with the eating disorder and the pornography and just wrestling through all that was another, was another like year or so roughly. Yeah. And so, so basically your healing and I mean, your healing was starting to happen. It sounds like, but in terms of really getting some traction and getting some, uh, some deeper healing and success, you're saying was really in the last couple of years yeah. for you. That's mm -hmm. awesome. Yeah. I'd love to hear. Look, go ahead and share that, Ashley. The biggest thing that really changed everything was being honest with myself because, you know, you just get into that, the constant thoughts about like, oh yeah, I struggle with this, but you know, you're just like not really honest and taking accountability for it. And so when I was able to be honest, that really opened up my eyes to change. How did you do that? That's so hard. I mean, right when you're, when you're saying yeah. like, there's so much minimizing or it's not that bad, or I mean, what are some of the things yeah. you would tell yourself? And then how did you finally get honest with yourself? Tell us kind of that journey. Mm -hmm. So actually I'm a really big journaler. So everything I have been for many, many years. But I was looking back at my journals and I realized that I've never said a word about my addictions. And so there was a time when I did start talking about it. I can't remember when I started writing my journal about pornography and stuff, but that was basically how I was being honest with myself, writing it down 
and you know talk how to word that uh, yeah just pretty much like putting it in, yeah. in writing in front of you like that i mean that's a that's yeah. a big commitment right that's not just talking to yourself about it that's like documenting this thing in writing where anybody mm-hmm. could see it especially you know you yeah. could see it but also other people i mean that's a big courageous step there yeah and just facing it you know right. it was scary i did write a lot about it in seminary when they would talk about that and i would you know, I would cover my paper, but yeah, just being honest with myself in writing, um, yeah. that really helped me. Yeah, that's great. What would you tell yourself when you said like, yeah, I wasn't honest with myself? Like, what were those like internal dialogues looking like? What would you say to yourself or think to yourself? When I wasn't being honest with myself? Correct. Just always justifying, you know, like, yeah, I don't know. It's kind of all a blur, but I remember just always making excuses yeah, and, that's basically it. Yeah, in my experience, when, when I'm talking with people in my counseling practice, they'll say a lot of it is is almost like what they aren't willing to look at, right? It's more like just ignoring mm-hmm. it and trying not to think yeah. about it and just acting like it's not real. So so they're not even like willing to face it. And so I think for you writing mm-hmm. it down, putting, you know, writing those words out, spelling the letter, like just really putting it down, yeah. making it real was a huge part of it, it sounds like for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Another big thing that helped me was involving God. That was a big, big game changer. And also having like a big why with it. So, you know, it's not like I had to change it from being like, I don't like this life that I'm living to, you know, I want to change. I want to get over pornography for my future kids. Just having a bigger foundation, a bigger why. That kept me moving forward. Yeah, I love that. So instead of just focusing on don't do this because it's bad, right? It really was about getting clear on what you wanted your life to look like, mm-hmm. like your potential, like what you desired. Yeah. How did you involve God? What did that look like exactly? Working with the bishop, that was when I started involving him. And I didn't really know how to do that before. Yeah. But taking time to you know, really focus on scriptures and just turning to prayer. I also did a little bit of the addiction recovery program, just trying to involve him and, you know, being honest and talking about everything with him. That's pretty much how I was able to involve Heavenly Father. Yeah, I love that. Beautiful. Carry on. The next one was finding my real life again and putting my energy towards something else. With my addictions, they like really take over all of my thoughts. And that's pretty much the only thing I can think about. So when I was able to finally go back to playing the piano at the rest homes and throw out all of my journals that were toxic, just putting my energy towards all the good stuff again, I was able to let that go. Yeah, that's great. Did you feel like you changed a lot of your interests or did you just go back to the stuff that you loved? I went back to the stuff I loved. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. Yeah. I bet they were glad to have you back at the rest home. <laughs> yeah. It was fun. <laughs> Can't do that anymore. But Oh, yeah. Was, that's so true. Darn it. Awesome. Yeah. Darn. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, I'm saying these steps like from mostly from recovering from the eating disorder. So some of them are not exactly what I did for the pornography, but it really would have helped me. Yeah. um, If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. 
because the next one is opening up. Of course I did with my cousin. And that really, that was one of the biggest things that helped me. Life-changing. I mean, that's what I'm hearing. Like it it really set you on a new course. Yeah. So that would have helped me if I was able to open up about my pornography earlier. But I think that is such an important thing. Like you can't suffer alone. Um, You got to get people involved helping you. Yeah. And especially if you have already internalized a message from someone you love, you know, trust and respect who basically says to you, I mean, not directly to you because he had no idea, you know, these teachers had no idea you were struggling, but with that Mm -hmm. really hurtful message of, you know, you're disgusting, you're broken, you're messed up, you know, you're contaminated. And just to sit on that and not have anybody counter that. And so Mm -hmm. to have your cousin basically witness your truth and your struggle and basically still treat you like the great person that you are, I mean, that just is almost instantly so healing right there just to have that relief like, okay, she didn't run for the hills because I revealed my deepest struggles with her. So yeah, it, there's something so powerful about that, about opening up and, with someone who loves you and who's safe. And I can't think of very, very many, if any, honestly, examples in my 20 plus years of doing this where somebody has opened up to another person who they trusted and loved and was safe, where they had a bad reaction. I mean, people just... Mm-hmm. People are generally really good. They mm-hmm. really just are so grateful. And it sounds like you both offered that to each other. Yeah. And it's surprising when you do open up. It's surprising how many people actually struggle with something yeah. similar to yours or your own problem. So I think that's really cool. Yeah, right. We're not that different from each other. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And so did you, so opening up, I mean, your cousin, your bishop, and then you, you obviously started to open up to more people. Tell me about that. Yeah. So I actually didn't open up for many months later. It was actually just this year. Um, I finally told my parents and it was not what I expected. It was a lot better than I was imagining it to go. And the weird thing was that it was pretty much in the past. I didn't really want to bring it up. I didn't see the need to bring it up. But I actually met Colin Karchner on, you know, he came to my school. I was following him on Instagram and he was starting his new podcast. And he had a kid named Smith Alley on his podcast who taught about, who talked about his experience with pornography. And he was a 16 year old kid. And that I don't know, that put a thought into my head to share my story with Colin. So, you know, I just wrote it up and I sent it to him over DMs and he had me on his podcast. Um, But I was thinking I would, I should probably tell my parents if I'm going to tell this to the whole world. So probably a good idea. Yeah. (laughs) So I told my mom, I told my dad. And after that, Colin had me come speak with him to... St. George at the Utah Collision Against Pornography event and many other firesides. It was really cool. I was able to, thousands of people, but of course he unexpectedly died. I know. And that's not happening anymore. Yeah. I'm so, so, yeah. I mean, I've been following that really closely and I had spoken with Colin as well and, and uh, I never had a chance to put him on my podcast but we did invite him to speak at, at the Utah Coalition Conference. I, w- I helped plan that and was a big oh, part of cool. that. Yeah, we invited him over there. And I am, it's just heartbreaking. I just, yeah, I'm sorry for, you know, the effect that that's had on you as well, because it sounds like he was a huge part of you coming, yeah. 
you know, coming out of the darkness even more. I mean, you had done a lot of healing, but it really gave you a chance to share your story and offer a lot of hope and healing to people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. It was, it's really cool. It's really scary to be opening up. Yeah. But, you know, it was just such a traumatic time all throughout my teen years. And I didn't really want anyone else going through that. So that's basically why I wanted to open up and hopefully help someone realize that, you know, they're not alone, maybe help them with some things so they can get out of the cycle. But it's been really cool to be able to share. Yeah. I mean, that's remarkable. I, I just respect you so much for, you know, not only doing your own work, obviously, you know, having the courage to talk to your cousin and then take the next step and open up to your bishop and then make those big lifestyle changes and then eventually reach out to Colin and stick yourself out there even further, tell your parents. I mean, all these steps that you've taken to not only further your own healing, but then become a resource for people. And here we are talking about this and, you know, you just have a tremendous spirit and drive for light and healing. And I just, I respect that so much. I'm just so grateful that uh, you're using your voice and your experience to bless other people. I have no doubt that like in the same way for you, you heard this other kid on his podcast and you heard someone on my podcast Mm -hmm. and it just helps propel you forward. And I I just have no doubt that this will do the same thing for who knows how many people. Mm, I hope so. Yeah. 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 That's fantastic. So there are like three other steps that I did. Yeah, please. Let's keep going. Okay. The next thing was identifying the difference between shame and guilt. Yes. Um, Because I was so filled with all those thoughts, the shameful thoughts about it. I was able, you know, learning about guilt and the difference that really helped me, you know, take responsibility And that helped me change in the better way. Instead of thinking like, I'm an awful person. It's like, yeah, I struggle with this, but I can move past it, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the beauty of learning that difference is that when you recognize that you can reject the shame and embrace the guilt in a healthy way, it does give you movement and traction. Mm -hmm. It actually allows you to see that you can actually do something about it instead of just being permanently damaged. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Another thing was removing the labels, like I'm an addict or whatever else I was telling myself. And it's kind of weird. Like when I was struggling with my eating disorder, it was kind of like a guilty pleasure. I don't know if that's the best word to use, but it felt good to kind of identify with something. Mm -hmm. Um, It was kind of cool to say, look at me. I have an eating disorder. I am a binge eater or whatever I wanted to say, even though I wasn't telling people, it just kind of felt cool to have a label on myself. Mm -hmm. But when I was able to get rid of that, I was able to remember like my true identity and be able to put that behind me. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. It's funny. I've talked to a lot of people over the years that really battle back and forth with whether using terms like addict or things like that are helpful to them. And I get all kinds of mixed responses. You know, obviously everybody's everybody's different. And some people find that using that term helps break them out of denial, helps them face it and be honest about what it really is. Other people, you know, feel like it it ends up becoming more shameful and keeps them more stuck. Mm-hmm. And for you, it sounds like it was kind of a a strange mix of like 
over-identifying with the label was more harmful to you getting further away from your true identity. Mm-hmm. But that's where the damage was for you. So for you, it was rejecting that label was more about opening yourself up to who you really were at the core. Yeah. Yeah. That's powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. So this one was the, you know, I feel like all the other steps are kind of things that you do inside of you, obviously. Right. But this one was like the most powerful thing that I actually did that was able to get me out of the cycle. And it really helped with my eating disorder. And it was stop fighting to be perfect. You know, let the urges come. It's kind of scary with pornography. I don't, I don't really remember doing that as much, but I just know that when I wasn't fighting to always be perfect and, you know, have the perfect streak, never mess up, that really helped me when I was able to accept that. No, I'm not going to be perfect. I'll let her just come and sit with my feelings because I had always been numbing them out. So what it looked like with my eating disorder was turning to intuitive eating. Stop fighting to always stay on my diet plan and just let myself take care of myself, if that makes sense. Absolutely. But yeah, I think that is the message I'm trying to say is basically letting myself feel my feelings again and stop trying to be perfect. Yeah, I love that. And I think you're right. I think with sexual urges, we tend to be much more reactive about those and maybe fearful Mm -hmm. about them. But the truth is, is that sexual feelings are like other emotions that they just show up (laughs) and it's part of being human. Mm -hmm. And so to diminish our own humanity and shove everything down, I think Brene Brown was the one who said, you can't selectively numb emotions. You can't just Mm -hmm. pick the ones you want to feel and not feel. You end up not feeling all of them. And so I, I love what yeah. you said there. That's, that's really wise and insightful and matches what I see as helpful for people that are trying to overcome any type of addictive or compulsive behaviors is giving themselves permission to let those feelings come up and not get reactive mm-hmm. or try and fight them away instantly. Yeah. Yeah, yep. that's beautiful. So that's basically how I was able to get out of both of those cycles. And it's really cool because because they were going on for so long, I really didn't think that there was actually a different way to live. I didn't know that I could be free of addiction. So it's been really cool to see that I was able to overcome these huge things, these things that were taking over my life and seeing how much more fulfilling life can actually be. It's really exciting. Yeah, no, absolutely. And yeah, for you to, for you to spend, you know, the pretty much your entire adolescence battling this quietly, silently, Mm -hmm. and to have that freedom now going into adulthood and to be able to feel a totally different, you know, a huge contrast from what that was like living kind of small and shrunken and scared versus open and connected to your identity. And also being able to just offer a help, helping hand to so many people. I mean, I can see it in your face, listeners. I'm talking to her on Zoom right now and I can see it on her face and it's just, it's just awesome to see just the brightness and and the joy and the peace that uh, emanates. Hopefully you can hear it in her voice, but it's just so exciting. And I just, I'm just so thrilled for you and for your family and, you know, just what, what you'll be able to create in your life with this freedom. Thank you. So how are you maintaining it now? What are you doing now to, to stay in this place, to stay healthy so you don't mm-hmm. slip back into old familiar patterns? Yeah. So I've been working with the therapist and 
we were able to create a plan. Um, I feel like I was always white knuckling, you know, my addictions, but now we are able to figure out like, Hey, what am I going to do? Because mm-hmm. I know that I'm still going to have urges. I'm still going to be tempted. I'm still living in 2020. You know, I can't just escape, <laughs> escape all of that. That's right. So <laughs> it's been really helpful to have a plan and, you know, build a work with people. It's changed it from, you know, always fighting it to feeling like I have the control. Right. You know, I, I know what I can do. So that's just really exciting for me. Yeah. Have you been able to connect with other girls and women who struggle with this? Have people come to you and opened up? And I mean, are you starting to, to see that this isn't just a guy's problem, which is what everybody always says, right? Oh, yeah. It's shocking how many people are actually opening up about it. I just wish I knew that earlier because that really would have changed everything. Yeah. Um, if I knew I wasn't alone. Right. So. Right. So what, what would you tell a girl or a woman listening to this who's just absolutely convinced that nobody can know this, right? Like where you were, what would you tell her to do right now? Yeah. Honestly, I know that everyone has a really good friend or if you feel comfortable with your family member, like seriously, just open up, tell someone because honestly, like hopefully um, you will feel supported and that will really change. So just break the silence. Yeah. Just form the words and just pass it over to somebody Mm -hmm. and then see what happens from there. Yep. Right. Because you didn't know where this was going to go, right? (laughs) Yeah, honestly. (laughs) So it's just amazing that everyone, I know that everyone can be free of what they're struggling with. And I think that's really powerful. You don't have to keep suffering. Yeah. That's an important message to believe that, that this doesn't have to be a life sentence for you. That just because you're struggling now and you feel stuck now, it doesn't have to be this way. So don't give up. Don't assume that this is just your lot in life to open your mouth, reach out to somebody, get support and things will start to improve, which they did for you. And it wasn't like, it wasn't like you instantly were better and things just, you know, did a 180 and life was perfect. In fact, you're still working through it right now, but you're lighter, you're freer. You're just feeling so different now. And you, you know, you've mm-hmm. got that joy back. You've got the peace back. And the process is probably a lot easier now than when you very first started. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that. I love to hear stories like this. And I love, I love connecting with people like you, Ashley, who are just, just so courageous and so bold to just take charge of your healing and not settle for feeling cruddy all the time. So it just wasn't working for you. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So. How can people find you? I know you said that you're on Instagram. You're not obviously speaking anymore. Mm-hmm. We're not really doing that these days. And obviously, our dear friend Colin is is not uh, with us anymore. And so he'll he's a hard one to replace. There really wasn't anybody else yeah. like that guy, huh? He was mm-hmm. he was one of a kind. Just love yeah. that guy. So how can how can people find you? Where are you at? What are you doing? So I'm pretty much just on Instagram right now. Okay. I do have Facebook, but not really on there much. And you can find me at Ashley Air, just my name, A-S-H-L-E-E-A-Y-R-E. And I just post things occasionally. So okay, that's basically it. And I'm just on some podcasts. So Okay. Yeah. So you've been on some different podcasts and trying to just get the word out about the fact of just this message, right? That there's hope that you don't yeah. have to stay stuck and that life doesn't have to be as heavy and dark and scary as it was for you all these years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fantastic. 
Ashley, I can't thank you enough for one, for reaching out to me. I just jumped on the opportunity. I just felt so excited to have some time with you to talk about this and and just offer another voice of, of hope and, and support. So thank you for what you're doing. Thanks for reaching out. And I hope more people will connect with you on a social media. You'll have more opportunities to tell your story. Thank you. It's been awesome. Once again, I want to thank Ashley for jumping on the podcast here with us today. It's just so great to connect with her. And I really hope that all of you felt inspired by her message and that you could really feel the hope and encouragement and really what's possible when you have the courage to reach out, open up, speak up, and get some help. And just really thrilled for her and her journey. And what a great foundation she's setting for the rest of her life at such a young age. Just so great. So many people that I work with over the years have told me that they really wish that they would have gotten help as teenagers when they were struggling with difficult things, but they just didn't have the support and the permission. So I just think it's awesome that she's accessing resources that have given her permission and courage and strength to open up and reach out. And hopefully her voice, like I said, can do that for other people. Once again, thank you all for listening. That wraps up today's episode. Leave a rating on iTunes so other people can find it. It actually makes it helpful, easier for people to find this podcast. So you can uh, leave a rating, leave a review, let people know what's helpful about the podcast and share it with your friends and family. Definitely want to grow this audience and get this information out to more people. These guests that I have on here are just incredible people and their messages and their information is just life-changing like you saw here with Ashley. Thanks again, everyone, and I'll catch you in the next episode.